You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 574, Joni Mitchell, the Asylum Albums Remastered, the cancelling of John Cleese, and the BBC says thanks but no thanks to Mark Lawrenson and Roger Bolton. That's all coming up after Marshall Crenshaw and Fantastic Planet of Love. The way you smile, even when heartbreak is closing in around you. Girl, you know that that's one thing I ought to learn how to do. Won't you hear my plea? Come by and see me. Cause every time you smile, you make my world a fantastic planet of planet of love right now I feel it I feel something closing in around me it's in the headlines of the tabloids and I heard about it on TV come see about me can't wait to be a hanging around with the one who makes my world a fantastic planet of love planet of His first band at college was called Astigfa, which mm. sounds odd until um, I found out it's an acronym of A Splendid Time is Guaranteed for All, which oh, indicates see. the Beatles influence. Uh, often All apparent right. in his music. Uh, this is a track from the album Life's Too Short from 1991. Marshall Crenshaw and Fantastic Planet of Love. Very much enjoyed that. And also did not know that that little uh, that little factoid about the anagram. <laughs> so that's great. 
Like uh, Terence Stackham in the afternoon, the big show. Indeed. Uh, I mean, uh, what could <laughs> hi Terence and love the show. Indeed. Yes. Thank you very much, uh, very much for for joining us for Parish Council episode five hundred and seventy-four. I'm Terence Stackham, and take the shackles from her feet so she can dance. It's Juliet Harris. Or uh, Juliet, Juliet, if I was to, to adopt <laughs> the uh, adopt the persona of, of Mary, Mary. Yeah. Um, indeed. Hello, everybody. Hope you're well. Yeah, I want to, you know, we did this the other week where I threw in something um, at the last minute, but it just uh, came up as a story today. And I, Why not? I love a, a bit of improv. Let's yeah, go Yes, it's going to be improv. I'm going to throw this into, again, it's an incredible story, really. It just reflects on modern life in the theatre and the arts mm. today, and particularly in America. Just oh, OK. A quick story from this week in America. I just want to see what you feel about this. Mm, OK. On Wednesday, oh, you know, about two years ago, the big deal on Broadway and then, of course, over here was Hamilton. You know, everybody's got yes. their tickets, the yes, big absolutely. noise all around. And they made a film and it went on Disney. And yeah, it was a very, very exciting. And people were selling their firstborn to get to the second <laughs> exactly. born and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, the new show on Broadway that everyone wants to see is called Hades Town. Yes. H-A-D-E-S Town, Hades Town. Now, on Wednesday night, this was this was running on Broadway, mm-hmm. and Lilius White, who's quite—I don't think she'd mind me saying—quite elderly actress, mm. uh, was on stage performing, and she noticed in the front row a woman um, recording the show on a device, mm. and actually stopped the show and said, "You know, look, you shouldn't be doing this. Please stop doing this. You're ruining the show." And then, the woman didn't react. And carried on. So Lilith oh, stopped the show and said, look, this is this is I'm, I'm so sorry, everybody, but we can't have this. So like an usher comes on, security comes on. So sitting in the front row with this device is Samantha Coleman. And this is where it gets excruciating. It turns out that she's deaf and she'd been <gasps> given a captioning device by the oh, theatre for her to be able to follow it along. You know, it's like a, a like a subtitle thing, but it comes up on like a, a version of an iPad in front of her. And so, of course, you know, this then becomes mortifying. But this is the thing that I wanted to sort of ask you mm. about pick you up and see what you on this this is what this reflects now on modern life you would expect then okay the theater apologizes you know miss carmen says mm. no you know and um accepts it maybe they give her a bunch of flowers whatever the world is like. yes oh, this got considerable media attention because mm. samantha coleman mentioned it on instagram she did a sort of yes. instagram video but then here we go guess what lilius white is a black woman an elderly black woman actress yes and so we got this incredible backlash of racist, misogynistic, oh. terrible, terrible comments about Lilius White. Shouldn't be on the stage. Sack her now. You know, talks about her race and everything. To the point where Samantha Coleman, who an anonymous, not in the business, I mean, just a yeah, exactly. woman in the audience. Just some suddenly... poor woman that just wanted to go and watch the show. And <laughs> exactly. to be fair, was given, was was facilitated to do so in an accessible way by the exactly. theatre. I mean, that's, that point has been lost, I sense. Yesterday, she's had to give a press conference beseeching people to stop harassing Lilius White. Oh, for goodness and, sake. Um, you know, I, I want to ask to extend kindness and a forgiveness to Miss White. Her social media pages have been flooded with age and racist comments please stop harassing her so the whole thing is now twisted around to the other side that we've now got to support and look after Lilius White who made the mistake in the first place and so what is essentially a trivial but mortifyingly embarrassing incident has now become this sort of like global story you know Uh, so so now we've got people saying that Samantha Coleman is a privileged white woman making these Oh, for goodness against, you know, oh my goodness that's the story i just wondered what you might i mean make it's of... i mean what a bin fire i mean yes. really it's just it's it just one of those i mean were it not for the terrible terrible kind of after tale the long tale of this awful abuse towards ms white yeah. it would almost be like an episode of curb your enthusiasm <laughs> wouldn't it really i can imagine larry Very david so. getting involved <laughs> in this kind of shenanigan yes, and, and this terrible exactly. thing it would end in someone walking into a glass door i think but um but yeah it's it is one of those things firstly sympathy to ms white because it must be mm. so annoying 
Secondly, that's why she didn't respond, wasn't it? Because because the, yes, the poor because woman was she, was was was, was there. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's partly the fault of the. I mean, I think the person whose fault it isn't is either Ms. White or or Samantha. I can't remember her surname. Coleman, now, the, yeah. Samantha Coleman. Coleman. Neither of them are at fault. They just no. acted in the moment. The yeah. theatre are at fault for not making their policies clear Absolutely. to their to their performers. That is their fault, I think. Like you say, it's so telling and depressing that there. Are a bunch of keyboard warriors in the world yeah. that will take any slip up Anything. by somebody of colour, particularly somebody yeah. of colour, some you know, a woman particularly, a woman of colour, mm. you know, someone who's elderly. They'll you know, there are these these people that have been emboldened by the age of the internet and the age of Trump, yeah. I suspect, in America to uh, to just, you know, say these awful, terrible things. And I think particularly after the, the Capitol yeah. Hill insurrection yeah. and things like that, that I, I do very much blame Trump and Trump culture for this kind of thing. I'm not saying that this this kind of racism hasn't always been there, but it seems to be more ex- it's more extreme than ever because of social media kind of enabling this, really. Fair play to Samantha Coleman for... for you know, having this press conference and, mm. and, and, you know, sort of using her accidentally acquired platform <laughs> to uh, to try and sort this out. I really do feel for for, for mm. her and for Ms. White, because neither of them asked for this at all, did no. they? So no. they, they were both just trying to go about their business. So I feel very sorry for both of them. And I think the theatre has to have some culpability here for yes. not... For a not tra- I mean, my, lots of these situations come down to a lack of training, don't they? So for not training their performers and saying to them, "Look, just because so, this was foreseeable, wasn't it?" Oh, for yes. not saying to them, "Look, this is this is what goes on. This is what happens." And also for not like shoving someone on the side of the stage, for not you know, for mm. not just getting someone to tell her from the wings. I mean, yes. how hard would that have been? And it sounds like. No one was trained in that because if they'd at least trained the stagehands, someone in the wings would have gone, oh, shit, we better let her know. So it sounds like the theatre is to blame, as are certain depressing elements of the Internet general public. There's no business like show. Now, unfortunately (laughs) not, I think, if you're Samantha or Ms. White. What really could be more fun in the entire world than surprising (laughs) Juliet and you, the listener, with a little quiz? I mean, it's what we live for. This is how we do things. It's great. This week, the quiz is called Who Said It? And Mm. I I will give you a quote and you have to tell me which famous person said it from a list of three. Oh, good. OK, I like your list of three things. That's that's kind. There's five quotes. And mm. I'm going to be asking you, which of these three three famous personalities said them? Was it Member of Parliament for Mid-Bedfordshire, Nadine Dorries? <laughs> right. Bewitching singer, songwriter and musician PJ Harvey? <laughs> right. Or polymath brain box, Juliet Harris? Oh, no. Right. Here we go. Oh, <laughs> ah, that stopped the laugh, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, what can I say, Terence? I am I am making an obscene gesture on mic that you cannot see. <laughs> <laughs> five quotes to pin down to the correct person. Three out of five, you'll win the Star Prize, which is a copy of Nadine Doris's next <laughs> book, which is genuinely entitled A Wicked Woman. That's I mean, you know, all three of us are this in our own ways, aren't we, really? So let's see. So who said it? Was it Nadine Doris, Juliet Harris or PJ Harvey? Here's okay. the first quote. I'd never have guessed the Olympics would have made me cry as much as they did. I'll say that's me. It was Nadine Doris. Oh, no. In August 2012. Oh, dear. Right. OK. Not a good start. One. Three from four needed. I do love making soup and stock. It's very relaxing. Oh no, PJ Harvey, Juliet Harris. Oh no, in I November it might be 2011. Oh, this is awful. Okay, so Both I need all three. Yeah, you need I all need... three. Oh you no, three. right? Okay, okay. I think the general public might be doing better <laughs> than me at this point. <laughs> what we are fed through the media. I do not accept, unless you see it with your own eyes, you can't trust anything. Juliet, such pressure PJ now. Harvey, Nadine Doris, need all three. PJ Harvey. Correct! Yeah! In an interview, Hooray. PJ Harvey said, oh, 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 it's still running. You need both of these two now. Okay. Nadine Doris, Juliet Harris or PJ Harvey. At certain points in time, nothing 
is better than the Beatles. I think that's me. Juliet Harris yeah, it was. Hooray. October is... 2011 on Twitter. I would still stand by that comment very much. Everything rests on this last one. The, oh, this is Jeopardy, isn't it? We like this. Two down and two up. With one to play for, you need this one to get the Nadine Doris okay. book. <laughs> I mean, I don't sure how hard I'm going to try. <laughs> Who said it? Nadine Doris, Juliet Harris or PJ Harvey? <laughs> it's a fact of life that as we get older, our contribution becomes diminished by those who are younger and have more energy. This is very tricky. Uh, this very is not, tricky. This, this is it? too articulate for me. So, um, so I think I'll give you that. Is. That's correct. It's not you. <laughs> so that's um, I'm going to risk it and say Nadine Doris. You've won. You've gone Hooray! from two down to three to winner. It was a quote from her lovely, lovely book, The Children of Lovely Lane. Oh, what a I mean, marvelous book that must be. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, what contributions she has made to literary public life. Well, what a comeback! That was don't call in a comeback. That was that was. And can I just say to the listeners, we did not fix that. That's genuinely oh, no. how it happened. No, 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 no absolutely. Um, so yeah, well done you, and well done the listener if you managed to perhaps even beat Juliet's score. I suspect um, you did. But maybe the, PJ Harvey likes making soup note as well. Who knows? <laughs> maybe. The mi- miraculous renaissance of Joni Mitchell as a live performer has mm. to be one of the most startling and unexpected musical yes. events this year. Not long after that surprise performance at the Newport Festival, it was announced that Joni would be releasing a box set of the uh, collection known as the Asylum albums from the mm. early to mid 70s. Mm. They've been remastered. And we've been listening to For the Roses, Court and Spark, Miles of Isles and The Hissing of Summer Lawns. Uh, Jules, I'd argue this is Joni at her creative peak. Yes, I think you're probably right. It has to be said. They are just incredible albums. It is just lovely to experience them in a, a slightly new way in that I, they've been remastered. And it did sound to me like they did. They haven't been. They weren't wildly changed, but I I, I thought they sounded a little bit sparkly than they previously did. That's it. And, exactly. And I, and I thought that it was a nice mix. They managed to get it right. They didn't they didn't reinvent the wheel, but they made. It's, it sounded very sort of clean, but also timeless at the same time, really, if you see what I mean. So so it did still have, it, they did still have um, sort of, uh, Joan, they, I, I don't quite know how to put it, but I think particularly Court and Spark, it did sound like a classic album for me, really, in that the sound of it as well, it did sound like it had been, it sounded like an old thing that had been restored. And actually, I think that's fine. It didn't sound like dated to me. It sounded, it sounded res- that they were respecting how classic it was, really. And I think that's a really, a really nice thing. All great albums, like you say. I was very glad to see the um, the live album. I'd never heard the live album before, so it was mm. very nice to to hear. It was a good snapshot of Joni at that time. I think it had it had lots of interesting tunes on it. It was good to hear her doing Woodstock. I'm more familiar with the the, the Matthew Sudden Comfort version, so so it was good to hear that. But like you say, you wouldn't really go far wrong with For the Roses, Court and Spark, and the Hissing of Summer Lawns, would you? Really, I still think in France, their Kiss on Main Street mm. is one. And it's one of those tracks that manages to be quite low key yet also really exciting at the same time i'm always because i know what's coming next and and i think that's that's what's so lovely about these as well they're such classic albums they're albums that i've enjoyed so much that i'm excited to hear them again because i know what's happening next i know what's coming next and it's all glorious so it's a delight to hear these I think we're as one on this because I think the remastering is beautiful. There's a mm. real clarity and crispness about these um, new yes. versions of albums. I mean, I know Inside Out. And mm. um, this 2022 sound, I think, works particularly well, as you, you so rightly say, on Court and Spark. Mm. And I think also the hissing of Summer Lawns, which yes. um, Summer Lawns always sounded decades before its time and really yes. benefits from being heard with a very much agree that's a really it. good but, uh, point yeah yep. i think whether you're new to journey mitchell or not i i i think we both can't recommend this set highly enough it's there's a companion set of remixes demos and rarities oh, it's, okay. due, it's due next year um mm, okay but, but, so this is just a straightforward um 
remastering of the tracks as they were on the original albums without and, bonus uh, and stuff. speaking of speaking of as they were that moves us on nicely to as it was by uh by harry styles who you know maybe he's had a hand in making journey relevant again because of course um the hissing of summer lawns contains the track um harry's house um which is the name of harry styles's uh, latest album with oh, as yes. it was on <laughs> so course, uh, yes. so it was more relevant than ever is Joni Mitchell. So for now Joni Mitchell the Asylum albums is released on Rhino Records. Mm. Coming right up the cancellation of John Cleese parts 1 to 99. <laughs> That's next after Billy No Mates. I did not come dressed as you you did not come dressed as me. number of people have recommended Billy No Mates to me um, recently and I hadn't quite got round to hearing their stuff and then I was uh, in the car recently uh, driving along to Six Music and uh, this song was played taken from the EP Emergency Telephone which I quite like as a name I must admit um, a, a 
British punk punk described by Stereogum as a British post punk snarler who spent years in a series of DIY bands in Bristol. I mean, that's the history we all want, isn't it, in our lives, surely? But I'm um, big fan of this. Billy No Mates and Heels. First of all, it's the best uh, name ever, best pseudonym for Billy Nomis. But, you know, I was thinking, I looked at the um, lyrics just before we started, and I have to say, she's never going to find a nice young man with this sort of attitude. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm sure she's devastated, (laughs) Teddy. Back in the 1970s, I went on tour as a tour manager really or mm. confessional hearing and general support for spike milligan of all people and oh gosh i'll be honest it wasn't much fun i was very <laughs> young as a teenager mm. he had moods that were unpredictable and changed by the hour and he could be absolutely awful to work with mm, on the I'm other sorry. hand after the tour he wrote me a lovely letter of apology for his uh awkward behavior and i put it all down to experience and i I gained a greater insight into people with substantial mental health issues exactly and the fact that he wrote to you is very much oh he did it was a lovely lovely good for him yeah one of the um he knew you know he recognized <laughs> what he'd done to this <laughs> yes, poor young teenager with his head in his hands every evening in despair traumatizing the youth mm. yes absolutely one of the emotional problems on this relatively um poorly attended tour of mm. colleges and universities spike was at a sort of artistic low he had a fixation yeah. That he shouldn't have to do these sort of gigs and should be starring in a huge comedy mm. production on BBC. But by this time, his star was kind of flickering. And mm. to be brutally honest, he wasn't very funny. In fact, mm. not funny at all, because his comedy ideas at this time all seemed to come from a sort of perilous um, fountain spurting. Well, you know, the, the whole group, really, racism, homophobia. Oh, misogyny. no. Yet he thought he was the funniest man alive. Now, I get the impression John Cleese has a latter day but similar fixation yes. about his position in the annals of comedy history. I mean, let's let's be fair. He was briefly humorous in the hit and miss Monty Python, genuine success in 40 Towers and a couple of really funny films, including um, the was it clock clockwork clockwise? Yeah, um, Clockwise, which is Clockwise. genuinely one of my favourite films. Absolutely. I can watch that any time it's on. I love it. Absolutely. But this was all what's it, 30, 40, 50 years ago almost, really. Yet Cleese somehow believes fervently that he should be on mainstream TV or radio telling us things. I don't know, and I'm not entirely sure he does know what these important things are. Well, I, and, uh, I, and I think that's that's a telling comment in itself. Do you even know what it is you want to be saying? I don't think he does. Yeah. I mean, George, he claims to have been cancelled. Is he right? I mean, so we turn as ever to the great prophet of our age, who is Marina Hyde in The Guardian, oh, okay. who's, who is always gets it on the nail. Headline, delusional broadcast disorder has claimed its latest victim, Don, uh, John Cleese. And she, and the and the sort of the, the sub-headline is, and I think the, the best distillation ever, the great affliction of our age makes men that believe they have been cancelled by the BBC while they are literally on the BBC. Yes. And the article begins, and I'll read the opening paragraph because I think it, it sums it up. How very interesting to hear John Cleese explain how he'd be immediately cancelled or censored on the BBC in comments made freely and at considerable length yesterday in the marquee eight, uh, 10 past 8 a.m. interview slot on the BBC's flagship Radio 4 News programme, oh. explaining why he was about to become a presenter on the GB News. The 82-year-old declared loftily, the BBC have not come to me and said, would you like to have some one-hour shows? And if oh. they did, I would say not on your Nelly, because I wouldn't get five minutes into the first show before I'd been cancelled or censored, to which the only possible response is, morning, Major. So, yes, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely spot on in that John Major has become what he's satirized I think in that in that mm. program and she also says um and I think this sums it up barely a month before this John Cleese was tweeting GB News is sometimes referred to rather wittily as KJB News. To what extent is GB News influenced by Russell inf- uh, Russian inf- interest? Oh, which Marina Hyde says, I don't know, but perhaps it's a matter that could be explored <laughs> on his new GB News show. We are told that anything goes. I, I mean, to be honest, and it just goes to show that 
that all of these people that claim to be cancelled, firstly, we know that they claim to be cancelled because there is an outlet during through which they can tell us that they have been cancelled, which to me is not being cancelled, is it, if you've got somewhere that you can talk. And also, it just goes to show that they claim that it's principled, you know, I can't, you know, I'm not free to express myself. It's not that they have burning things that they're desperate to say, like some people. There are some people that really want to say things that... And I'm not saying the BBC is is free from criticism of some of its news output. You know, there are some things that are often not covered by mainstream news outlets that should be. Having said that, the issue with, with and it is inevitably men like John Cleese, is not, oh, I, I've got something really important to say and no platform to say. It's I can't do what I want, even though I don't know what that is. Why aren't you letting why aren't you letting me talk because I'm so important <laughs> to the point where it's not even based on principles because I'm happy to talk on a platform that I criticized a month ago because they are letting me talk because that is more important me being able to talk than it is what I think or what I've got to say. I don't have any time for this really. I I would have some sympathy if they were saying for example, if and I mean Fer- Fergal Sharkey from the Undertones has been mm. doing great work in the media, uh, campaigning about sewage in in rivers mm. and seas, and of course that's become even more relevant uh, following Southern Water's shocking kind of behaviour, particularly where I live in Hastings recently. Um, he would have, I think, a a a case, a, a good cause, a case to, for for people to argue if he said you know, this is a really important issue and this is not being covered in the media. Mm. I, I think he would have a much better argument than John Cleese just saying, I'm not allowed to talk about whatever it is I want to talk about. I'm not even very clear what it is that I want to talk about just because I don't have the chance to be heard. It's, it's stories should have the chance to be heard rather than people themselves, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah, I get very confused about this because um, mm-hmm. I- exactly what you say. I re- personally, I am not interested particularly in John Cleese's views about things because I don't see him as an authority on anything yes. that is of interest to me. But this is where I get confused. I'm, I'm not a fan at all of cancelling people because they have a view with which I or somebody else or you or a student union or whatever lobby group disagree. Mm. Um I know it's a very contentious subject, but J.K. Rowling has expressed clear views on gender. Now, my feeling is it doesn't matter whether I or you or anyone disagree with her views. I feel she's allowed to express them without a mob screaming her down. This is not I'm not saying I agree with her or I don't agree mm-hmm. with her. It's, it's a subject about which I don't know enough is the truth. Um, yes. So I don't like a mob screaming her down and cancelling her. And then you see the same for me goes for Nigel Farage and Jeremy Corbyn, perhaps two different extremes. Mm, yeah, in interesting, a, yeah. In a stable and free-thinking society, I think one should be able to say your view, then it's up to me and you and everybody to make our own judgment. We can disagree and argue on an alternative point of view, but we have no right to stop other people expressing their opinion. No, although having said that, my only mild pushback on that, mm. and you might be going on to say it, so apologies if you are, <laughs> but I think that sometimes people... And I'm not applying this to anybody. I'm not I'm not applying this or not applying this to anybody you've just mentioned. I'm just making this mm-hmm. a general observation. Sometimes, and I think this is the case perhaps with John Cleese, sometimes people claim they make stupid statements about things and then they go, oh, people are cancelling me. <laughs> and I think sometimes th- people think that if you, everyone's entitled to say things, but mm. also everyone's also with great power comes great responsibility and if you say things in public you should not be surprised or opposed if people scrutinize them and i think sometimes but but in a pleasant way not yes and what i was what i was going to go on to yes but having said that sometimes people have expressed views and some of jk rowling's statements and some of her accidental tweets sometimes Mm. she accidentally tweeted something once that was meant as a direct message and it was horrible i won't repeat it but it was really unpleasant and and my my view is is that if you if you say strong things you should expect some strong pushback now Mm. i don't condone abusive people but i think sometimes people are very quick to say oh i'm being cancelled people are abusing me Mm. and it's and i think sometimes 
that there is a difference between scrutiny and abuse. And actually, scrutiny can be worded strongly sometimes, I think. But I do agree with you. I don't condone death threats or anything like that. But I think sometimes people, there are some incidents I've seen where people have said they're being abused for things. And actually, I think they're being scrutinised. And I think that that job please is perhaps an example here. If we cancel people in the sense, and this is the way I've been taking that we stop them saying what they want on a platform, whether it's a literal platform or on TV or radio, the press or whatever, we're we're on a or, or social media, which is very much the case, I think, often on these. We're on a road to a sort of form of barbarianism, this sort of censorship and George Orwell style, almost totalitarianism. And I think that's a frightening future. And I, I don't want a part of that. So I, I, I suppose my summary is that even if I think John Cleese is talking a load of old codswallop, I'll defend to the end his right to say it, albeit on a TV channel, GB News, with about 10 viewers. <laughs> I mean, in a way, that's ideal, isn't it? Really? Because <laughs> yeah. it just means that 10 people. And I suppose yes. my, my comment back to that is, mm. yes, I agree with that mostly my only criti- my only kind of concern here is when you've got people like Kanye West for example mm. making horrible anti-semitic uh, comments yeah, yeah. i think and and then claiming to be cancelled by i think it's adidas are reviewing their contract mm. for his not terribly great Yeezy trainers, I have no. to say. I much prefer Pharrell Williams <laughs> trainers for people that are interested in this sort of thing. But um, but if he claims to be cancelled by Adidas, my view is Adidas have every right Absolutely. to review who they want to associate their brand with. And if they do not wish to be associated with his horrible anti-Semitic comments, mm. then so be it. And equally... His comments, and particularly, I think, to go back to the Donald Trump thing earlier on, that's what's Mm. so offensive about Donald Trump's encouragement of, Mm. or or rather... Incitement. Yeah, exactly. Or or rather not disencouraging people to do Mm. so. Yes, he has the right to make public statements. However, he also has the right to be scrutinised and and. And in making those statements, and I think public figures to a certain extent do have some power, particularly people like rappers, I think, as well. There may be, I mean, to be honest, I don't think anybody's taking Kanye West seriously for some time. But there are certain figures that will make comments that will have some influence. And if they're, if they're spouting hate speech, I'm not saying something I disagree, but stuff that is actively, actively mm. encouraging the victimisation of certain sections of society, mm. then I think that, that that does need pushback. I agree. I, I think the um, aspect, though, about, say, uh, Adidas or Nike or somebody, whoever, saying, right, you know, well, you know, we, we're not going to uh, sponsor you anymore. That's, I think that's a different thing entirely. I don't think that's being cancelled. That's just them saying we don't want to employ you anymore. No, but he might. Yes, right. exactly. But, and but if then, he says he's but, being cancelled by them, then he's an idiot. I mean, yes, but but to be honest, I think it's fairly predictable that he would say that. I mean, and that that's often Pete. And and again, you know, and it's a similar situation to John Cleese. People and, and your Spike Milligan. I'm mm. being cancelled. No, maybe you're just not any good anymore. And exactly. there are other people that's that are better. Point, yeah. Yeah, and not everybody is in, and we'll we'll talk about this more in a bit. I think yes. not everybody is entitled to to have these jobs forever. Speaking of which, coming next, Mm. the BBC has said thank you and goodbye to two very different presenters. And we'll look into that right after the Goer Express.
They, they signed a record deal this week, which should get their music heard more widely. This was a single released on the independent label Ra Ra Rock last year, Goer mm. Express and Second Time. That's very good. And Ra Ra Rock is an excellent label, actually. I would have listened to anything on them. I think they're great. Mark Lawrenson is a formerly successful football player and mm. unsuccessful football manager who <laughs> subsequently turned to the role of co-commentator and panel expert. And the fact that he didn't seem to find time to learn the laws of the game of football, it's never deterred him expressing a strong point of view, um, most often led by the premise that it's a man's game and everything was so much better in the days that he played uh, for Brighton, Liverpool and Ireland. Um I think it's fair to say he has a world-weary tone of delivery. And at times when his uh, droll, uh, bored voice told us how everything was awful at some World Cup or other, I, I would often sort of seethe somewhat at his privilege and his dreadful sort of wish I was at home mowing the lawn commentary style. Um, now, as the saying has it, he's been let go. Mm. And of course, Jules, he says it's because of a woke culture at the BBC and because he's a white male, 65 years old, blah, blah, blah. I mean, again, is it just that you're not really that much good anymore, Mark, and that, and that you weren't that great in the first place, and that now you've been not that great for a very long time? The BBC have not unreasonably wanted to replace you with someone else. He spoke at length about this to the Sunday Times. Um, I do feel for him in that he said, and, and of course we're hearing his side of the story rather than the BBC's side of the story, so there's always that to be borne in mind, but he said that, the BBC's head of football told him the news in March of this year. He said, the Beeb are probably the worst at giving you bad news, he said. Well, I can probably believe that, actually. It was just, we're going on the road next season with Football Focus. We don't think this is really something for you. I think that is fairly, if that is true, that is fairly a clothed way of breaking it, John it, I Blunt, must say. It? Yeah. it is a little bit. Having said that, he goes on to talk about sort of Alex Scott, and he, he says some things in, in support of her, saying some people don't want to be any good, but she's got better and better. And he complains about how well, we're making the program easier for her and blah 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 and you know and I and he goes on to say that you know I um he said all my time at the BBC nobody ever, nobody ever said you can't say this or that but the woke thing drives me bonkers I've been here for 20 odd years I think I might know what to say and what not to say I don't think so because he's really boring and the, yes, the thing that I yes. always found really draining about Mark Lawrence and there was a unusually a really good sketch on the Alistair McGowan impressions mm. show that he had and it I, always makes me laugh and it always whenever I see Mark Lawrence and I always think of this and I remember that they had uh, McGowan and 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 Lawrence and you know I think he was playing both of them Lineker and Lawrence and you know Lawrence was asked various questions and he would answer everything in a very downbeat and kind of depressed way and he said at one point you know what what can you say Gary when there are just people dying in the world to which <laughs> Gary Lineker would say you don't like football very much anymore, do you, Mark? And 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 Lin, and and you know uh, uh, McGowan doing that. We go, not really, no. And you just him and Mick McCarthy were always the same. They're yeah. just sort of human mood drains, aren't they? Really, and you hear yeah. them talking, and I just. 
I find them, I'm not saying that everybody has to be bouncy, upbeat all the time and there are different styles, but I find, I find um, Alex Scott's enthusiasm and in presenting, presenting very infectious. And, you know, Dan Walker is cheery enough, isn't he? And, and, you know, there are lots of presenters that I think are good. And, I, yeah, I just think that Mark Lawrence um, just, he, I don't feel that he, I think McGowan is right. I don't feel that he's enjoyed the game for a very long time. And that does not make for a very good viewer and listener experience, in my view. Absolutely. I agree with the point. And I think, um, yeah, I just sort of back up really that maybe he was let go because the BBC realised he didn't know the laws of the game and actually wasn't very good at anything other than moaning, and, and, as you say. And that, yeah, exactly. And they, had an, and they have a number of people now that are really mm. good. Absolutely. Now, another long-serving um, serving broadcaster mm. of the BBC, 77-year-old Roger Bolton was mm. informed recently that he was no longer required. Uh, this time to present to the, uh, the presenting the listener reaction show, I suppose you'd call it, Feedback. Yes. It's, it's a programme he's presented for 23 years. And this was after runs as editor of uh, Tonight, Panorama, Nationwide, and senior production and uh, editorial roles at BBC and Thames TV. Now, on feedback um, on Radio 4, he showed BBC Radio 4, he showed great skill in being yes. the listener's voice and in holding the BBC to account um, from, you know, complaints about a character in the arches to serious breaches of broadcasting code. Now, Jules, is it you know, is it right to move on and bring perhaps a younger person into Roger Bolton's role? Um, well, so actually, I think that Roger Bolton's response to this, which has been reported by the BBC, can I point out, um, <laughs> was very measured and, and was very mature, I think. And I, I, I feel for Roger Bolton because, like you say, he does what he does very well, I think. And I was a bit worried when I heard the news. Why are they removing the, the presenter of the of the yes. feedback show? Because it was a little bit, you don't want to criticise yourselves mm-hmm. anymore. But fair play to the BBC for publishing his comments in full by the look of it, <laughs> which are very sensible. And he's just talked generally about, he understands the landscape. And he says, and I think this is a good quote. Um, if you were running Radio 4, you must be worried by the fact that not many young people are coming to listen to you. He said the BBC is spooked generally by the fact that younger people are not coming to broadcast programmes. So they're investing very heavily in podcasts and hoping that that way they'll attract younger people. This is a sane analysis to me. Mm. At the same time, they have to be careful that their presenting team aren't of all of a certain age. So my guess is, and I've no first-hand knowledge of this, that this is, decision is part of the process. They've looked at presenters, people who've been here a long time, and they've decided to make some changes and not an unreasonable thing to do. This is all... I wish more people responded to, to kind mm, of changes. Yeah. I wish that the Mark Lawrences of this world responded <laughs> in this measured way. And he says many people, he said many will argue that a, young, a younger audiences, um, the chasing on is what they should be doing. He says, I do think that the BBC will have to find younger broadcasters in their attempt to reach a younger audience and ensure the BBC continues. So there's a general policy, which he'd abroad, of course, but individually, he jokes, it's a pain in the backside. And he said that, that talking a little bit about the the, the the tendering process that it goes through and he says feedback is put out to tender every three years with production companies invited to apply until now when that advert has gone out my name has been on it he said so in other words they're saying effectively that the presenter will be roger bolton so don't bother thinking of anyone else but this time it was different and he said to be fair the radio 4 controller asked me to come and have coffee with him and he said that this time they would not be putting my name on the tender document and were looking for suggestions for alternative presenters so it was pretty clear what that meant but i was never formally told that i wasn't going to do it nor was i given any reasons on the other hand if you've been as fortunate as i have to do it for 23 years and you're knocking on a bit they have to think about the future i think this is a, an inspirational way to react and a very mm. level-headed way to react to something i i'm in two minds as to whether i completely admire roger bolter from the way he's handled it i think it's been exemplary i'm in two minds as to whether or not because i think he's really good at this but equally i think I'm inclined to agree with him in that there might be aspects that the BBC, it sounds like they've pulled their punches a bit in, in, in not being entirely clear with him. And he's kind of, I suspect, correctly read into the decision. He shouldn't have had to do that. They should have been clearer with him. They should have been honest and just said, look, this is what we're doing, which, as he said, is understandable, isn't it? You can understand why they have to try and make sure that their audience remains replenished. That's always a hard balance 
to you know not to alienate an older audience but having said that i think marks and spencers a different institution have a similar issue which is if you keep serving an audience which in the case of marks and spencers i'm sorry to say is literally dying off and don't do anything and it's always been honest and don't do anything to sort of attract younger people at some point you will hit a wall and you will you will no longer be relevant and you will cease to exist so I could I feel for Roger Bolton and I will miss him from feedback because he's excellent. But equally, the fact that his he said he's very lucky to have done that for so long and he is 76 and they do have to think about the future. As ever, the BBC don't help themselves in the way that they handle things. But I think that he that if his analysis is correct and it's appalling that he should have had to have guessed this rather than being told mm. this properly. Uh, it's probably not unfair entirely. They just need to make sure that they don't alienate their loyal audience in trying to in trying to make sure that they maintain an audience over time. See, I don't entirely agree with you there because I feel that uh, age shouldn't in any way be a factor. Because no. let let's um, sort of reiterate from my point of view that I think Mark Lawrenson wasn't very good at that job, and yes. so it was like, yeah. I think Roger Bolton is absolutely mm. exemplary, a master of his role, both in this and generally broadcasting. So I think his removal should be seen as very different to you know the lightweight golfing sweater yes. Yes, world very of Mark yes, Lawrenson, because. Yeah, Roger Bolton, he manages to combine an intellectual background with an mm. understanding of listeners' frustration. And so woe betide, and I think, you know, you mentioned this in passing, that is there an element of this in it? Because woe betide any BBC executive who tried to come on the programme and avoid his questions or worse, yes. him. And, I mean, I think it's a ludicrous and crass decision. I mean, his journalistic skills and decades of experience and a splendid broadcasting tone it's made him the ideal choice to rattle the gilded cages at the yes. BBC. And I just think it's another example of BBC mismanagement. His age, 77 is nothing in, in this day and age. His faculties are absolutely spot yes, on. True. That is Since true, yeah. being let go, and I've been get, been been listening to some of these he started his own podcast called Beeb Watch well I didn't know this and I would be very interested it's to hear it it's very very good, good. Um, he interviews um, this this week I've just been listening to um, Joan Bakewell that he's another been, example as you say of someone who is yeah. older but is as sharp as anything I would like to hear this it sounds great David Dimbleby on this week he said Mark Mardell um, and then he did another one where he just looked uh, over the co- coverage of the BBC's um, uh, issues with the qu- the Queen's um, funeral mm. and so on. So he's, he's only just recently started. I think there's four episodes. Um, and again, as a, uh, you know, without seeming like a fanboy they're just excellent mm. he's got this lovely conversational tone and warm yes, voice great, yeah. you know and okay they might bring in some um, you know what's his name um, Julia Amal um, oh, don't give it to a more Arjun, please. Exactly. For the you know, love of that yeah. age and ilk, you know, who's going to be a smart ass and is yeah. young. But yes, it's just that Roger Bolton got it right, and you know, it, and I suppose my final thought on it is, if they must let him go, I do hope that it's going to be somebody who who is of a, a similar um, mindset and not yeah. just some, and, you know, just somebody picked because they're twenty three. Yeah, or, or because they can. Yeah, exactly. I mean, although I do think that that these jobs need to be mentored over time so that's why i found mark lawrenson's kind of oh we had to make the show easy for alex scott no it's just that not everybody is starts off being being wonderful but yeah no i agree i, I agree and, and and i take your point about the age thing that's i mean although it's interesting that roger that roger bolton was was at one with that himself but oh, yes, yes. I, I will definitely dig up these podcasts they sound great they really are. Well, thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you along. Oh, as always, uh, as you'll have heard during that podcast, as always, I agree with Sir Terence. Yeah. <laughs> very nice to have you. Now, unlike Lawrence or Roger Bolton, we can confirm that happily, Julia is still very much presenting her radio show this week. 
indeed although if there is a particularly able 12 year old that wishes to take <laughs> over you are very welcome to have it i do believe the children are the future but um until <clears throat> until the future comes knocking at my door i will continue <laughs> to host smooth sailing which is um <laughs> actually music a lot of the music i play i was not born at the time it was made which is ironic <laughs> in itself and feeds into the relevancy of this conversation if you're good enough you're old enough said he so maybe i am the reverse <laughs> roger bolton i don't know but anyway it's on a, it's on Noisebox Radio, which is an online radio station, 7 till 9 p.m. If you wish to listen live, noiseboxradio.com on Sunday evenings. Yacht Rock, M-O-R, A-O-R, classic pop, easy listening, and something that I nebulously refer to as much more. Um, you can also catch up on the station's Mixcloud page. If you go on to mixcloud.com and look for Noisebox Radio, all of the shows that are on the, on the station, including mine, are put up on there. You know, you've been playing some great tracks recently. And I loved last week's show, um, that lovely song by um, Richard Hawley. Oh, uh, yeah. Open up the door. Oh, I, uh, yes. that would have been a classic. That would have that would have been a standard 50 years, 60, yes. 70 years yes. ago. That would have been a standard. The uh, thing that's so, so appealing about Richard Hawley is that he does seem to be a kind of 50s, 60s kind mm. of crooner that, that yet somehow also has a six music style audience. I think it's yes. great. But, but I agree with you. If we still, I think if we still had, and we've talked about this before on the show, and I'm sure we will do again, but if we still had something like top of the pops if we still had a mainstream music press that was not nostalgia based if we still had regular music sort of publications and regular music television i think he'd be quite a big star i mean i'm not saying he isn't successful because he is successful obviously and he you know he sells records and goes on tours and things but i think he'd be bigger than he is now if we if we still had that kind of mainstream music press because i think he would have a real cross-generational appeal yes but very much so now to play us out it's a, it's a reggae legend who I saw perform in the Hundred Club in London in 1979, before, as you just said, before <laughs> you were even born. You've seen everyone in London, yes. Terence. I, I, I'm just here for the stories, really. <laughs> I mean, I have little else to contribute other than, than listening to your stories. It has to be said. <laughs> I went I went to a lovely event on Saturday. Um, there's a, a great chap called Roy Williamson that, that lives in my hometown of Hastings, who's also a Hastings original, I think. And he is running some club nights called Upbeat, um, which is reggae and ska and soul and blue beats. And the guest DJs appear, and it's always a lot of fun. Jerry Dammers from the specials was down as a guest some months ago and signed the awning, which uh, which has upbeat in it, which is now trotted out at every event. And why wouldn't you, frankly? They built their own sound system for the all day yesterday, which there were some teething troubles with it. But hopefully those have been ironed out for next time. It was an impressive looking beast when it was working for the first couple of hours. It was great. I could feel the bass sort of in my in my small intestine. I very much enjoyed it. But um, um, there were lots of songs that were played and I had a lovely time dancing. I don't often go out dancing it was great this wasn't played but it's the sort of thing that very much could have been played and i just i love alton ellis's voice i think he's got such a such an ache in his voice and it's so sweet at the same it's a really bittersweet voice i think and i i always love hearing this i played this quite late at night at a wedding once and it really did turn into a sort of a lover's rock moment it was great um in the sort of late summer in a in a village hall somewhere it was lovely uh, this is alton ellis and get ready rock steady better get ready come to rock steady
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>